This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Demarest, CPA with Parnells and Associates. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a lot about the economy and all kinds of different things. But this week, we're going to get back to the numbers. We're going to be talking about debt. A lot of people have had more debt over the last couple of years as well, whether it was the idle or just regular business debt. And maybe not so much for this industry, but a lot of other ones had to go borrow money just to survive. But the question, no matter what it is or what the situation is that made the debt come, the question is always, what debt should I attack first and how much extra should I be paying down towards debt? And this is exactly what I want to talk about this week. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. For over 30 years, Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive shop management software in the industry. We'll prove that to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. So there are some people that think debt is the worst enemy, Dave Ramsey. And on the other side of it, you see people leverage with debt that only care about cash flow, mainly real estate investors here. And there are arguments on all end of this spectrum, but most small business owners are left somewhere in the middle. Most of you did not have enough money to go and start your business with your own cash. So you had to borrow money, you know, and that's probably the situation that is the most common is, hey, you have nothing. How do you get this jump started? If you're on the Dave Ramsey side of it, then it's like, well, I can't open up this shop until I can bank enough money to go and buy a shop myself outright with cash. Now, how many of you guys are listening to this right now? How long would you have had to be at your old job, a dealership, or maybe even doing something completely different to save up enough money to buy your business? I would imagine that the majority, if not everyone that is listening to this episode, has had to borrow money over the course of their business for one reason or another. Now, subconsciously, you've already made some of these decisions that we're talking about. But what I want to talk about this week is how we structure and how we pay down debt and some pitfalls to look out for. But before we get into paying down debt, we have to kind of understand how we analyze debt and maybe even change your perspective a little bit on how you look at debt. So at the end of the day, debt is all about two things, return on investment and cash flow. On the cash flow side of things, the big question is, is this loan going to cash flow? Meaning, am I going to be able to cover this monthly payment in ROI, meaning I'm investing this money. How much do I stand to gain? And can it at least cover my interest? Now, I'll give you a great example of the first one, which is cash flow. So let's say that you're going to go out and buy a garage. Whether you're going to use it yourself or you're going to rent it to someone else doesn't really matter. But for this example, just to keep it very simple, we're going to go out and we're going to buy a garage strictly for investing purposes. And I want to illustrate to you on how sometimes debt, no matter if it has a high monthly payment, might not actually cost you any money from a cash flow perspective. So for this example, let's talk about a $500,000 building. And really the overall price of the building doesn't really make a difference as you'll find out here in a second. But let's just say that this building is $500,000. And the payment on this is going to be $3,000 a month. If this payment on this building is going to be $3,000 a month, What does this deal now look like if it's going to generate $4,000 in rental income? 
again, like I said, it doesn't really matter if this is you paying this or a random tenant, but the terms of the deal are I spent half a million dollars, borrowed this, payment on that loan is going to be 3000 but this renter is going to pay me $4,000 a month. Let's say that you got the deal of the century and you're able to come out of your pocket zero at clothing, meaning that you're able to just come to the table, sign some paperwork. That means just by the stroke of your pen, you're now generating $1,000 a month in cash flow. Because yes, you do have that $3,000 a month payment, but you don't really care about that because someone else is paying for that and they're giving you money on top. So this is a prime example. This is the best possible situation you can talk about, but how leveraging debt doesn't actually cost you any money. Yes, you are spending $3,000 a month, but someone else is paying you $4,000. This is exactly the situation that most real estate investors look at first and foremost, right? They care about cash flow because you heard about before when I said, hey, let's just assume that that building is $500,000, but it doesn't really matter if that building is $50 million. If I don't have to come out of pocket whatsoever and the rent coming in is going to cover my loan payment, then I know this is going to cash flow and I know this is going to be a really good deal. Instead of looking at this as just an expense, We look at this as, hey, how much money do I have to spend and how much money is this going to make me? And in this situation, you know, kind of to get into ROI next, this is an example of almost infinite return on investment because I did not actually have to put any money down. Sure, the building cost $500,000, but as far as my cash, I had to put zero money down. And because of that $0 investment, I'm now going to make $1,000 a month in passive income. Now, this is assuming that's fully rented out, and you can see that there is risks involved because if you don't have a tenant, you are paying $3,000 a month. But on the upside of this, it is also a very good investment when it is cash flowing correctly. So talking about ROI or return on investment is a key idea to understand if you want to understand debt, not only to analyze on the front end, but also as we get into the second part of this where we talk about actually attacking debt and paying it down. So in the above example that I was talking about, you're investing $0, but you're getting a return on investment. Now, much higher than what anyone would ever truly expect, but still something that we are obviously not going to be mad about. Now, let's be a bit more realistic, though, and assume that you had to put down $50,000 on this deal or around 10% of the overall purchase price. 10% is very common for an SBA note, especially if we're ignoring kind of some closing costs and prepaid expenses and stuff like that. So this means that you had to spend $50,000 to buy this $500,000 piece of property, but that investment will give you $12,000 a year in returns. Remember, we have a $1,000 a month profit, and that 1,000 times 12 comes up with that $12,000 return. And to put this in perspective, that would be a 24% return on your investment. A little bit higher than even right now what you're getting in a savings account or money market. Now, I can already tell what some of you guys are thinking listening to this. Hunt, how is this a 24% return on my investment? I spent $500,000, not $50,000. What we care about is, and it's something that you probably already care about, but you don't know it, is not actually return on investment, but something that they call cash on cash return on investment. Meaning that I don't care what I've signed up to pay back. I care about how much of my cash I put out and how much of my cash I'm going to get back. So I don't care that I promised to pay the bank back an extra $450,000. I only had to spend $50,000 of my own money. 
And that $50,000 is going to give me $12,000 back a year. And if you do the math after year four, you have already got your money back. Now, I mentioned this before that, you know, these are very, very, very common strategies for real estate investors. And you see these guys and you're like, how are they going? How are they buying all of this property? Where are they getting all of this money from? What it actually works out to be is if done correctly. Now, this is not to say that there is no risk involved. There is tons of risk here. But if done correctly on it, real estate investing can be done with almost zero cash out of pocket. And can definitely done with be zero cash out of pocket if your first deal is something like this, where you can come in with a very low down payment or even a full 100% note on it, whether it's a bank or a seller financed. The strategy, and I don't want to get into this week. If you guys are interested, we can talk a little bit about real estate investing another week. But I can't just tease you with this. I have to give you a little bit more insight on how this works. So there's a lot of different strategies to this, and everyone has their own little flair. But the general idea behind this real estate investing strategy is called BRRRR. And I'm not saying BRRRR because it's cold out. It's actually an acronym. So it's B-R-R-R-R. And there's a lot of different acronyms that are slight variations of this. But the general idea is all exactly the same. And so what the letters stand for is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then repeat. The B we have straightened out. Let's just use this deal for example. It's a $500,000 deal. Bank wants me to put 10% of my money down. Great, not worried about. We'll go ahead and I'll do this. So I'm going to buy this property and it got value based on what the property looks like and how much in rent that they're getting. That's generally how especially investment properties are valued. What most real estate investors are looking for is they're looking for a property where they can do a value add property that they can put some money into and get even more money out of this. Common situation is to buy a property that's in need of repairs or maybe just a property that is not fully rented out or not rented out at complete fair market value. These investors buy it. They rehab this to either be able to increase the amount of rent that they're charging their current tenant or to be able to find new tenants that are going to be paying them a higher rate. Then you go ahead and you're renting this out. You can now go back to your bank and say, hey, I'd like to refinance this. You gave me, you approved this, you appraised the value of my property at $500,000 when I bought this. At that point, I was able to charge someone $4,000 a month in rent. But now with these repairs that I've done, I can now charge $6,000 a month. What that does is to the bank and to really everyone else, the value of that property is going to be more expensive. If you had a property that you could buy for $500,000 and it gave you $4,000 a month of return on investment, wouldn't you be willing to pay more than $500,000 for something that's going to give you $6,000 of rental income a month? Yeah, of course. Now, obviously, when you go to refinance, and a lot of times these guys go for as much money as the bank will possibly give them here. But the big thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to get that initial $50,000 out. And in the situation of a burr, we're trying to get not only the $50,000 out, but whatever money we also put in for the rehab and renovations. So let's say that we were able to kind of just do this with some uh, elbow grease and just a little bit of love, and we didn't have to spend a whole lot of cash for this renovation. That means that I only need my $50,000 out of the bank. So I go in, I owe them $450, I renovate this stuff, I rent it, I got people paying me higher amount, and the bank comes back and they say, Hunt, great. We are going to now appraise this property at $550 or $600,000, and we're going to allow you to do a cash out refi of $50,000. So now what do I have? I have a property that is now paying for itself. 
Now, my payment's no longer going to be $3,000, might be up $3,100 or $3,200, but that is now generating me $800 a month. Whereas before at the lower loan, it was generating me $1,000 a profit. Now, this one's only generating me $800 a profit. But my return on investment is now infinite again, right? Because remember, I put $50,000 into this deal. When I refinance this out, I got my $50,000 back out of this. So I no longer have any of my own money tied up in this property, but it is now generating me $800 a month. So remember I talked about before that the real estate investors will turn around and they'll keep on doing this and keep on doing this. Now I have $50,000 in my pocket again. I can go buy another property for $500,000, put my $50,000 down, buy it, rehab it, rent it, refinance it, and repeat. Right, And you can see how you can keep on doing this and doing this and doing this. So pretty cool idea that hopefully opens your eyes a little bit to debt and how you can be smart with debt and how a lot of the you know extremely wealthy people in the world do this with debt. Take a look at any billionaire, any millionaire. There's not very many of those that are truly debt free in every aspect. And a lot of them probably have more debt than you would ever imagine to see on someone's balance sheet. But if it's cash flowing, if you're getting return on investment, it is a lot of times the smartest and most prudent thing to do. Let's face it, your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. You need Napa Tracks because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. Napa Tracks has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatracks.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. I promise we're going to get to the part where we talk about how we pay down debt, but we have to kind of get the foundation here. And I also just want you guys to understand a little bit more. The biggest reason I do this podcast is not only to give you actionable items that will hopefully help you in your business, help you in your personal life, but also give you some education behind us because a lot of these things can be applied to other aspects. And if I just give you, hey, pay down this debt without the understanding behind it, yeah, you can take my word and you can just go with it, but you're not going to be able to apply this to other aspects of your life, right? Not just your shop, your personal life, your friends, family, kids, brothers, moms, dad. If you truly understand the economics behind all of this, it'll allow you to make better decisions, not only with your loans, but hopefully the rest of your financial position. Maybe that's a bit uh, egotistical to think that I have that much of a reach, but that's why I enjoy doing this. So now in the simplest form, we can look at return on investment in the opposite direction. And if you have a note, let's say it's 8%, by paying extra principal down, you're getting an instant and guaranteed rate of return of 8%. You get it? So if you're paying down this debt, You do not have to pay the future interest, which would charge you 8%, which is where I get the idea of this is an 8% guaranteed rate of return, right? We were going to guarantee that we were going to pay that 8% in the future by giving them the extra money now. We're guaranteeing that we do not have to. The higher the interest rate, the higher the rate of return. 
and probably the better deal for you to pay this stuff down. So still don't kind of get it. I'm going to illustrate this to you in an example. Let's say that you have a $10,000 credit card with 20% interest on it. And if you pay that at the end of the year and you go the full 12 months on it, you're going to owe them $12,000, $10,000 for what you had on there, plus another two grand of interest. So if you pay them off today, you pay no interest and you would only owe them $10,000. But if you pay them at the end of the 12 month, you're going to owe them $12,000. That $2,000 difference is our savings. And if we do it back on a return investment standpoint, we are saving 20% or getting 20% return on our money. No brainer if you have the cash right. There's no reason for you to have a credit card just sitting there with a $5,000 balance when you have plenty of money in your bank account to offset that. This is the urgency on this, especially for some of these smaller things. Because everyone talks about debt with mortgages and commercial loans and stuff like that. A lot of times you have these little loans that are just silently kind of sucking money out of your pocket when they just really don't have to. Now, on the other hand of this, let's say that you have a $10,000 note that only has 2% interest. If you pay it off today, you get a 2% guaranteed rate of return which doesn't seem really great now, does it? And this is true because instead of paying down that loan and taking that $10,000, you could go ahead and you could put that into a money market or CD. We've been talking about these for a couple of weeks. The interest rates are expensive for borrowing, but they're also pretty good when you're actually saving money and we could get a 4% return on our money. So if we had that $10,000, we're now going to owe 10200 on that note at the end of the 12 months, right? It's charging 2% interest. However, instead of paying that $10,000 down right today, I said, you know what? I'm going to take that ten grand and I'm going to go and I'm going to stick it in the money market that's going to give me 4% return on my money. Now, at the end of the 12-month period, I'm going to have 10400 in my money market. I'm going to have 10200 that is actually owed to that loan. So you can see by waiting 12 months and leveraging this money, I actually generated a positive cash flow, a positive return on investment because there was something that was going to pay me a higher rate of return on my money than the loan was. So the loan is the exact same way. The lower the interest rate, the worst investment it is. And when we're talking about investment for stocks, that means us buying. But on a loan, it's the exact opposite. We're talking about return on investment by essentially investing in that loan or paying down that debt. And this is a prime example of how leveraging our money or essentially how trading with margin works. So if you've ever you know, heard of margin calls or trading with margin, essentially what you're doing here is you're saying, hey, if I have $1,000, I can invest in this stock and I can get $1,000 worth of this stock. However, if they will let me borrow money or use margin on this, I can borrow money and then buy $4,000 worth of stock instead. Now, just like anything else, this is not free money. They're going to be charging me interest. But the idea behind traders using margin is, yeah, they're going to charge me 6 or 8 or 9% margin interest on this. But I'm day trading options here, right? I'm making good, smart financial investments. And I'm going to be making way more than 8% on their money than I have to pay them. So if you're going to get a higher rate of return on another investment, then it makes more sense to do that than it does to pay down the loan. Now, obviously, it depends on how risky this stuff is and something like investing in the market where it gets really scary with margin is, hey, you're expecting a much bigger rate of return and you're also paying 8% margin interest, which is fine. You look like a hero if you end up making a 20% return on your investment 
which now knocks it down to 12% after paying the margin. But where people get in big trouble here is what happens if you have negative returns? What happens if you're not only paying 8% on that borrowed money, but you also lose 20% in your investments? You're adding insult to injury there, and you come into the wonderful world of a margin call, which any of you that have been a part of it know it can be a little bit stressful depending on how much money you have tied up in that position. So now that we can see two ends of the extreme and you know that there is a break-even point to paying down debt where it no longer makes sense, you have to know that it really depends on your specific situation and what's your alternatives that you have to invest the money in. And also this is very dependent on time because when we're talking about this four years ago where money markets maybe be paying me 0.2%, it's a lot different situation than today when we're at 4% and some of them are even higher than that. Right, Because our alternatives, we have a lot more alternatives and what we would feel as risk-free alternatives, which is kind of funny to say that after we had the Silicon Valley bank failure the other week. But no other news have come out on this, so maybe it was an isolated issue. Either way, though, if you have a reliable income stream that would be better used for that money, then it makes sense to deploy it, making you more money than it does to pay down the debt. Essentially, you'd be in the case of the first example where you are paying monthly, but it's not really costing you anything because your investment is generating you more interest than your loan is costing you. It's all about arbitrage here. One thing that you have to keep in mind, though, is you also have to factor in the premium that you're willing to pay to have your cash on hand, to have the availability to use this money. So what I mean by this is, and this is probably a really good example for EIDL loans, because it's a pretty cheap loan. Now, still costing me interest, so you've got to be careful with what you're doing to it. But for example, let's just say that you have you know, about a 4% note. EIDL is at 3.75, which is why I say this is a very good kind of example. Now, you could go and invest that like we talked about before and probably make 4% as well. So it might seem like it doesn't make any difference either way. So you might as well just pay off the debt hey, I'm only going to pay 4%, but I'm only going to get 4% return on my money. I'm just treading water here, so why don't I just get rid of this debt and simplify my life? However, instead of paying down that debt and you just left it alone, not only would it not cost you any money because your investment is covering the interest, you also have the availability of funds in case something were to come up and you needed cash. So if you were to say, hey, I got $100,000 in my EIDL, It's going to cost me about $4,000 this year in interest. Instead of paying down $100,000, if I turned around, I put that $100,000 in a money market, that money market's going to generate me $4,000 worth of interest income. I can use that interest income to pay off my interest expense. And essentially, I had the availability of an extra $100,000 and it did not cost me anything. So this is a no brainer, right? If you have opportunities to deploy this money, to offset or completely eliminate the interest expense, it really is a no-brainer. Now, even if it's a little bit upside down there, right? That's where even kind of these lower interest rates ones don't make a whole lot of sense. Let's say that the rate of the loan is 4.5%. You're going to get 4% on your investment, but the loan's costing you 4.5%. On $100,000, that's going to cost you 500 bucks in a year. So essentially what you're saying there is, yes, it still costs me money, but... I'm essentially buying an insurance policy that costs me $500 that allows me to have the availability of $100,000 at any time that I need it. And this is a prime example where a lot of people have hung on to the idle money. Because even if you're not really deploying this that much, a lot of people are willing to pay a premium 
to know that they have the proper reserves in case something unexpected were to come up. However, this is assuming that you're going to be responsible with your cash that you don't use to pay down debt. If you're going to blow this or not invest this, then the money market or CD is probably a moot point because it's either sitting in your checking account or getting spent on toys and other junk. And if we're going to talk about the idle money, I'm going to go back to you with this. If you have that idle money right now, or whether it's $150,000, $500,000, whatever it is, if you have it just sitting in a checking account, just gathering dust, this makes absolutely no sense. It's costing you 3.75% a year to have that money sitting there. So if you really have no intention of ever using this, then you can go ahead and pay that back. That would be the smartest thing to you because it's costing you 3.75%. Now, most people have kind of gone this other route and say, hey, I'm going to use this for other things. I'm going to use this for future expansion. Or you know what? I'm not sure if I need this right now, but I want to kind of hang on to this a little bit longer just to be sure. So in the meantime, I'm going to put this in a money market or some sort of other investment that's going to either minimize or completely eliminate uh, the interest expense associated with this. But if you are your own worst enemy, if you say, "Hun, if I don't put this extra thousand dollars I have to some sort of debt, it's just going to go into my general household fund and I'm going to use it up on junk or toys or whatever, then yeah, pay down debt because the alternative is going to give you a 0% return. So it might seem like, hey, this is, you know, kind of a non-financial aspect of, hey, I'm just going to waste this on something that's not really necessary or not going to give me income. It really all goes back to ROI, right? If you're just going to go and spend this, you're getting 0% ROI. You're just buying something. So it doesn't make sense to leave that debt to have nothing on the offset against it. So next thing on here and really kind of the main topic of paying down debt is cash is king. We've had an episode on this. I talk about it all the time. I cannot say it enough because the, it is the basis and really the foundation of any good debt minimization strategy. So the reason that people get into debt or borrow money is because they don't have the reserves to pay for something outright. However, I have seen so, so, so many people get into trouble by trying to get debt free too fast and jeopardizing their own cash flow and sometimes overall operations by stripping all the cash out of the business to pay debt. The reason that you borrowed that short term loan was because cash flow was tight. So you pay it down early because you're really kind of ashamed and you're mad that you went into debt. So you're like, I'm going to get debt free as fast as I can. Now, at the end of this, you pay down that note, but you don't have any more reserves. So what ends up happening? You have to go back and borrow more money when something comes up and now you're locked into this vicious cycle, right? Vicious cycle of not only drain on your cash, but also how much interest are you paying on this when you have to keep on going back, keep on going back and keep on going back. And I've seen this so many times when especially when a business starts to get successful, whether it's a new business that is kind of just getting into a profitability phase or business has been around a long time and they're just trying to figure things out. And finally, kind of people get to a point where they say, you know what? This is starting to click. The business is at an operating at a profitable level. Things are looking good. But I have this debt from the years where I struggled, the years that I had some issues. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to erase the past as fast as I possibly can and start hammering away at this debt that I've accumulated over years. Now, what ends up happening is they strip all the money out. You've built up $200,000 worth of debt over the years. You make $250,000 of profit this year, and you use all of that to pay down debt. So you barely even have enough money to cover the taxes on that profit and don't really have any more money to set aside for reserves. 
So now we are sitting here and saying, oh, great, I'm debt free on it. Wham. You get a sales tax audit. You get a large unexpected expense. You got to replace your roof. What's going to happen then? You got to go right back into debt because you don't have any reserves. You haven't fixed the underlying issue of why you got into debt in the first place, which is not having the proper reserves. So now when you pay down this debt so aggressively, you don't have anything to weather the future storm on it. And you're very, very, very close to going back into debt until you can build up those reserves. So if you have a continued history and you don't have any unexpected expenses, then yeah, after you're debt free, you're going to be able to build up your reserves. But that kind of crossover period there where reserves are very tight, you have a lot of downside there. Everything has to go extremely perfect so that you don't kind of go in a negative there or dip into the red. First things first, before you start paying down debt, you need to say to yourself, do I have the reserves that I need to to make sure that I don't have to go back and get more money? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with a general rule of thumb. It's about three to six months of operating expenses, but this all depends on a number of things. And the overall idea here is I would ask you, hey, if this expense comes up here in the next month or so, can you pay for that without borrowing money? If the answer is great, then perfect. If the answer is no, then you're not ready to pay down debt. Now, the big thing here is, Hunt, well, how much are you expecting me to pay? What is this unexpected expense? And this is where it comes back to, it's kind of a spectrum here on how much you need to have in reserves. Because obviously, if you have a ton of money in reserves, it doesn't matter what I throw at you, you'd be able to handle it. Hey, you have a $50,000 sales tax liability. Perfect. Yeah, I can handle that. Hey, you, um, you know, had a lawsuit that came up and you had to pay an ex-employee $80,000. Great, hunt. I have so much reserves. It doesn't matter. Hey, you know what? You had to go out and you had to drop $200,000 on a down payment for a new building for this new opportunity that came up. Yep. No problem, hunt. I have all the reserves. So if you have a lot of reserves here, you're going to be able to say in almost all situations, you're not ever going to have to get into debt again. Now, most people, there is a limit to this. Hey, hon, I'm at the place where if I have an unexpected 20, 30, even $50,000 expense, I'm going to be fine. Now, if I have an unexpected $150,000 expense, yeah, I'm going to have to go borrow money. Obviously, more of the expenses are going to be on the lower side of things versus the bigger side. And this is where you need to use your best judgment on what you would feel comfortable with, as well as what you think your future risks are for these unexpected expenses or decreases in profitability, down months, losing money, and stuff like that. The end of the day here, the overall idea that I want you to understand is, I would rather have $100,000 in the bank and owe the bank $100,000 than to have zero money in my bank and be debt-free. It's as simple as that. So let's say that you are ready to pay down debt. Where do you start? Some say attack the balances, take a look at the smaller balances. Some say pay down unsecured first. There is so many different strategies here. And not to say that my strategy is the end-all be-all, but it's pretty darn simple. My advice is we're going to attack the highest interest rate first. It makes it very, very easy to figure out because this all goes back to return on investment. Why would you invest in something that pays 8% when there is a similar option, just as much of a guaranteed rate of return that's going to give me 24%? You would never make that choice. Well, then why would you ask about paying down an 8% car loan when you owe the same amount to American Express that has three times the interest cost? The higher the interest rate, the better your return on investment. So when I'm going down and I'm starting to look at debt 
It's very simple. I'm going to look at what has the highest interest rate first and foremost, and I'm going to start paying down that one. And then once I keep on going down and down on it and I get to the lower interest rates one, that's where I go back to the idea we talked about before. Hey, Hunt, now I'm in the four, five, three and a half percent interest rate. Does it actually even make sense for me to pay down this debt aggressively at all? Or does it make sense for me to use this money in reserves, invest this elsewhere or what, right? But we know at 24%, we know at 15%, we know at 18%, it makes no sense to have that if we have the cash to do so. There's nothing out there that's going to give you anywhere close to that kind of return with not a, without a pretty big downside to it. But there is some subtleties to this, and everyone's situation is a little bit different. One of these subtleties is attacking some low balances just to clean things up, right? You have a number of different credit cards with similar rates, but there's one that you only owe $2,000 on and the rest are you know, $10,000 plus. I'm probably going to knock out that $2,000 one just to get rid of it because it's so cheap. So even though I've preached ROI, 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 there are times where there's an argument just knocking off some of the low-hanging fruit. Because there is something to be said about peace of mind. Hey, that's one less payment I have to worry about. It's cleaning up. It's simplifying my life. Another thing here is it's pretty good kind of mentally. Wow, I just paid off that card. I've had that Chase card for six years. I've always had a balance up, down, up, down. I finally have it paid off. And I'll tell you what, a lot of my clients, when they go and they finally pay off that credit card, they finally rip it up. A lot of times that's their lessons. That's the school of hard knocks they've went through. And they usually don't dip back in there or kind of get too aggressive on their credit cards because they saw how hard it was to get out of that hole and they do not want to go back in again. Now, another thing to think about too here is liquidity because all loans are not created equal. And if I can ever get that money back, if I'm paying this in there. So a lot of times this is a one-way street. Hey, I went out to the bank and I borrowed $50,000 just for some working capital. If I pay that $50,000 off and money gets tight next week, I can't just go back to Wells Fargo and say, hey, you know what? You guys gave me the money. I didn't think that I needed or I had enough reserves, so I paid it off. Now I need you guys to give me that money back. Now they could say yes on it, right? If you have you know good enough financial position. But now you're kind of back into the whole thing. You got to go back to the bank, got to get it through underwriting, got to pay for the loan again. This doesn't happen over time. So an example of liquidity on on how I would make this designation on my financials is coming down to if the interest rates are similar, because I'm still going to go first and foremost on interest rates. But, you know, the subtleties I'm talking about here are kind of the tiebreaker rules or a little bit some more of the intricate details that would make me lean one way or the other. So the example I would have is let's say that I have $50,000 on a line of credit that's at 8% and I also owe $50,000 on my shop truck that I also owe 8% on as well. Now, I would always attack that line of credit before I would attack the truck. Why? Because if I pay down this line of credit, if I give them a check for $50,000 today and then next week the state walks in and says, Hunt, you're getting audited for sales tax and tire tax. You got to pay this money back. I can go right back to Wells Fargo, transfer that $50,000 out of my line of credit, back into my operating account, pay the state their money, and I'm perfectly fine on this. Now, that car loan, that truck loan that I paid off is the exact opposite. If I go and I pay off that truck, I'm going to be $50,000 short on my cash And I can't just go back and say, hey, you know what? I would like to refinance that car and take my money out. Now, you can refinance a car loan, but not only are you not going to get back all of the money that you just paid down, probably 
If you do get money back, it's going to be at a much, much higher interest rate. Now, another thing to think about here, and I almost didn't even want to put in this because I'll try to make this not too complicated, but it just kind of came up and I feel like I have to mention it, is I don't really mind something like a car loan or something like a truck loan because it is a liability, but I have a corresponding asset that associates with that. So like for that line of credit that I owe $50,000 on, it's unsecured, right? It's not attached to any asset that also has a similar value. Unlike that car loan, if I owe 50000 on that car, then I probably or hopefully have a car that's worth $50,000 or more, meaning that if I really need to settle up, I could always just go sell that car, pay off the loan, and that takes care of itself. So why would I use my cash when it's attached to an asset? But we're kind of getting a little bit too complicated here, but there's definitely an aspect to that of secured versus unsecured. Again, these are the subtleties that kind of make these tiebreaker rules on it. At the end of the day, to keep things simple, I'm always, always, always going to start with the interest rates. Um, Another liquidity thing comes in a lot on like mortgages on real estate. Those are slightly similar as well. So if you're paying down your commercial mortgage on your building, you could always go and refinance and pull that cash back out if you got too aggressive on it. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. And that's also assuming that your property is appreciating. But it isn't necessarily a one-way street by any means. So last kind of thing we have to talk about here is taxes as well, because often the tax considerations of this are ignored completely. And really where the tax consideration comes in, the example I'm going to talk about here relates to personal debt versus business debt, right? And kind of comparing the two. And for a lot of you listening right now, you are the business, the business is you, right? You own your shop 100%. You work in the business on it. And a lot of times, even some of your personal loans have something to do with the business. But if you have, let's say that you have two credit cards, both of them you owe $20,000 on, and both of them have 20% interest. Now, one of those is a personal chase card. The other one is a business chase card. But everything else, they look identical. One of them you just use for all your personal stuff. The other one you use for all your business. Both of them have the same balance, the same interest rate. Which one are we going to pick down? Which one are we going to pay down? Might be hard, right? The correct answer here is the personal credit card. But why? Why would I be paying down my personal credit card? And that's actually the opposite of what I see most people do. Most people would say, oh, well, I'm going to attack the business one first, not my personal one. Got to make sure my business is healthy, not me personally. Everyone is very worried about making sure their business is healthy, but not making sure that they're personally healthy, which is a flaw. And you got to make sure that you take care of both. But if we're looking at the tax considerations of this, I'm going to explain to you why paying down that personal credit card is actually going to be cheaper and more effective for you. The interest on the business credit card is a business expense and also a tax write-off, whereas the interest on your personal credit card is neither a business or expense or a write-off. So if you're paying 25% income taxes or your tax rate's around 25%, which is pretty standard... That means that the business credit card is actually only costing you 15% in interest, whereas the personal card is costing you 20% in interest. Again, these are subtleties here, but working back to that same interest rate example, the same ROI example. But why is it only, why is it cheaper? So think about this. Both of them you're paying 20% on. Personal has no tax benefits, no tax deduction on it. So that's going to cost me straight up 20%. But on the business side, that's going to cost me 20%, but I'm going to get a tax break by paying that. I'm going to put this into dollars. So let's say that that 20% equates to $2,000. 
That $2,000 looks the same, whether it's coming on my personal account or coming on my business account. But on the business side of it, that $2,000 in interest is an expense. And if my tax is around 25%, it's going to save me about $500 in taxes at the end of the year. So that did not cost me $2,000 in interest. That only cost me $1,500 in interest because of the tax savings. So if you're looking at it and everything is all equal on this, then you can see that attacking the personal debt is going to be the smarter move because we don't have any deduction for that interest. It's all coming out of our pocket. It's all getting paid with post-tax dollars versus on the business side of stuff. We are still paying down the same rate, but we're getting a break on a portion of that. The higher your income tax rate is, the more of a benefit or the more leverage you can kind of put on one versus the other, right? If you see some of these, you know, ultra wealthy people, they could be paying almost a 50% effective tax rate. This is why personally, they might have virtually no debt, but on the business, they have a ton of mount because yes, it's costing them money, but they're saving 50 cents on a dollar in the interest. So it's much, much less than you might ever think to kind of, you know, go down a little bit of a tangent here. Some of you might be thinking, well, Hunt, this doesn't really seem fair if, you know, these big businesses and these big corporations can leverage debt and use it as a tax deduction as well. It seems like they're kind of getting an unfair advantage, which I tend to agree. And a lot of people have argued this because we've seen, you know, over leveraged businesses all throughout history, but in recent days, it's becoming more and more common for some pretty complicated levels of debt on these corporations. And what they did a couple of years ago, and we don't have very many clients that ever run into this, but there's actually certain limitations on how much interest you can deduct for this exact case. They don't want someone to saddle all of their debt on their business, leverage the tax benefits of it when it's actually way more debt than they ever truly need. Again, I... I've only seen that about once in my career with a shop. It is very, very uncommon to kind of hit that threshold or hit that amount. And if you do, it usually means it's a champagne problem because you're usually making a ton of money where that starts to get limited. No one wants to have debt. And I will never be smart someone that is against having debt or wants to live their life debt free. And if given the two extremes here of over leverage with debt or debt free, I'm always going to pick debt free. Hopefully what this has done is kind of show you how this is a spectrum and give you some tools here to analyze your debt and start attacking this when appropriate. It might be the appropriate time to start doing this now. It might not be, but maybe you have some better information to be able to get in a position to start to pay down this debt. And I've argued the financial cases where you can see it probably wouldn't make any financial sense to pay down a 3% or even lower home mortgage in today's climate. But also know that there is a mental aspect of not owing anyone anything, and that has a value to it as well that cannot be ignored. So to wrap this up, make sure that you have cash, make sure that you're getting a good return on investment on paying down debt, and don't get too aggressive that you jeopardize everything that you've worked so hard to build. So I hope you enjoyed this. As always, please share this with friends, shop owners, friends, cousins, relatives, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at Over the last week, I got a couple thank yous or, hey, keep up the good work on it. Those really make my day, guys. Not that I'm soliciting kind of uh, free compliments here, but just to let you guys know, I try to respond to all of these ones, but I do appreciate it. It means a lot when you guys reach out and say, hey, this really helps because right now it's me staring at my basement wall, staring at my screen on this 
hoping that I'm helping someone and to hear that it really is helping. It really is making a difference and that you're learning something out of it is really why I do this and just gives me so much encouragement on this. So thank you all for that. But just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the AftermarketRadioNetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening apps. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.